0: We're going to hop into the scriptures this morning. David Annette's going to come, and we're going to be in uh, John's gospel, chapter 3. As David comes to read, would you please stand in honor of God's word and the words of Jesus?
1: Hello. All right. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform those miraculous signs you are doing if God were not in him. In reply, Jesus declared, I know, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going so it is with everyone born of the spirit how can this be nicodemus asked you are israel's teacher said jesus and you do not understand these things i tell you the truth we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen but still you but still you people do not accept our testimony i have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things, uh, Father, I thank you um, that we've got, I guess, time to set aside. I thank you, and I'm grateful that you've set aside time for us to um, focus on you. Um, we're busy, God, and and there's a lot of noise. and And Father, I just, I, I. I I thank you that you recognized that before we did, and, and you've already set the time aside. God, I just pray that the um, words that uh, John speaks to us, I, I pray that they will be um, nourishing to us, and I pray that they will be, um, I don't know, life-giving. So near my pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, David. You can be seated. Well, for the last five weeks, we've been talking about needing uh, to make a hard reset on our spiritual operating system. And uh, the idea of needing a reset, uh, I, I, you know, I've heard from a lot of people is, yeah, I relate to that. I need that. I want a reset. And I've talked about it primarily in terms of like a spiritual sluggishness or depression or frustration with the church. And that's all true, and I think that resonates highly uh, with a lot of us But the news this week out of Florida, and the news on any given day of the week, honestly, uh, demonstrate that there's a need for a a more deep reset, that not only is our collective operating system as human beings sluggish, it's that it's been infected with a virus, a self-destructive virus that's causing us to behave in ways that that don't lead to life and in fact uh, pervert and, and, and mess up God's good world. And it's just heartbreaking, you know, what we've seen. And to think about the fact that a person woke up in the morning on Ash Wednesday, on Valentine's Day, with with those decisions in their heart is just heartbreaking. And it makes you ask the question, what is wrong with us? What on earth is wrong with us? And it's not just this isolated event. It's things that we do interpersonally in our relationships, ways that we create mistrust and harm one another. Uh, things that happen on national scale, you just ask the question, what is wrong with us? How on earth did it come to this? Have you ever had a moment like that, maybe at, at 2 o'clock in the morning, where you're just thinking back on, on, on how your life got to this point, and you think, what is wrong with me? And there's a virus, there's, there's a problem As Christians, we believe in the future renewal of all things. Go to the end of the Bible in Revelation 21 and 22, and Jesus is going to return to fix all things and wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more weeping or mourning for the old orders passed away, and we hold on to that hope, the hope of resurrection, the recreation of the heavens and the earth. But the gospel is also good news now. The gospel of Jesus Christ is also good news now, and so the things that we're talking about in here are not just like the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is not just like self-realization for the elite. This is li- these are life or death conversations. These are conversations uh, that are about destruction or about new creation, what we believe about Jesus and how that shapes and reorders our lives is the most important conversation that we can have. It's the most important thing about you. And our response to that idea, you're like the most important thing, it says something about the worldview that we've developed and the perspective that we have. What you believe about Jesus and how that reorders or fails to reorder your life says everything about where we are. Um, we're, Bob Skaggs, are you here? Okay, my father-in-law, Bob Skaggs. Uh, When, a couple of years ago when Rogue One, the Star Wars movie came out, uh, I went to see Rogue One uh, with Bob and with my brother-in-law, Jay, and I was really excited. Because, you know, when I was a kid, I had the original VHS trilogy, and, uh, and I was really excited, you know, this is, Rogue One's like the prequel to the original, the first Star Wars movie, New Hope, and so I go in with a ton of anticipation. Jay, my brother-in-law, is really excited. I sit next to Bob the whole time, and, and we walk out of the movie, and I say, hey, what'd you think? He says, it was great. What was that about? <laughs> Bob had not seen any of the other Star Wars movies. Bob doesn't know the plot. He's like, yeah, it's good, but I have no clue what was going on. Could you start from the beginning and like explain the whole thing? Um, in this passage that, that David just read, Nicodemus is a guy, kind of like Bob in this situation, who's like, yeah I, yeah, I like it, but what was that about? What are you talking about again? Bob was missing critical information to begin to understand what was going on with Star Wars. Uh, Nicodemus was missing some basic pieces to begin to get his head around uh, what on earth it was that Jesus was doing. And the thing is, you think Nicodemus would be a guy who gets it. And, and John is always, in John's gospel, he pays really great attention to detail. And he says uh, Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee which means this guy is like a high-performing religious athlete. He's he's tedious in the way that he applies Scripture to his life. He wants to be holy. He's really serious, but he's not just a Pharisee. He's a, a ruler of the religious council, the Sanhedrin. So he was one of 70 rulers over the temple and over the people of Israel. He's like a gold medalist uh, religiously, okay? This is a top performer. You think this is a guy who gets it. This is a guy who other people would look at and they would say, Like, on spiritual issues, he is an expert. This is how people would have seen Nicodemus. But in spite of this, like, cosmetic piety that Nicodemus has, there's also this dark side to him. And when does it say, look at your Bible if you happen to have it, when does it say he came to Jesus? Try again. Yeah, he came to him at night. And if you read John's gospel or if you read John's letters at the end of the New Testament, night and darkness, it it means separation from God. Nicodemus is a guy who on the surface has his religious life together, but, but within he's separated from God. He's a spiritual fraud. And at different points, people have asked me, what's my greatest fear in launching Cornerstone? And that's it. My greatest fear is that there would be a lack of congruency between the person who stands in front of you on a Sunday morning and the person my family sees on a Wednesday night. Uh, To be a spiritual fraud, and maybe some of you in this room, other people look to you as like being spiritually mature, but on the inside, you feel like a fraud. And maybe that's you. Maybe you would identify with Nicodemus here. Spiritually speaking, Nicodemus is like me, without contacts in. He is blind as a bat. He can't see a thing. And so he comes to Jesus and he starts this conversation. He, he likes to think he's got Jesus in a box and he said, well, we know that you're from God because clearly no one could do the things you're doing unless God sent him. And Jesus knows the heart of a person and he cuts straight to the heart of Nicodemus said, yeah, I'll tell you what no one can do. No one has a clue what's going on with me unless, unless they've been born again. Nicodemus, you don't have a clue what's going on with me. You don't have the categories to understand what's going on with me unless you've been born again. He used that no one phrase and turned it on and said, No one can see the kingdom of God, can see what's going on with me. And it makes sense of other things that are in the New Testament. Paul uh, in, in 1 Corinthians was talking about how the message of the cross was received in popular culture. He said the cross is foolishness. To those who don't believe, to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. What? But to those of us who are being saved, who've been given new eyes because of the work of the Spirit, the cross is the wisdom and the power of God. That's why Paul can say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everybody who believes. It's foolishness to some. It's the power and wisdom of God to others Jesus says no one can get it unless they've been born of God, born from above, as we'll talk about. This phrase, born again, is, uh, is familiar. You've heard it before. I remember one of the first times I heard the phrase, born again, uh, outside of the church, was I was listening to this Ben Folds record, this live record he had, and he was telling the story of this song called Not the Same, like people were not the same after this changing experience, and he said, yeah, this song is about this guy that we knew who we were at a party, and he climbed up on a tree tripping on acid, and then he came down the next morning and he was a born again Christian. It's funny. And he had something else to say that was funny, but I'll, I won't say it here. And uh, he was born again. Now, this is a really uh, interesting phrase in English. If you got a paper Bible, it'll it'll probably say "born again," and then it'll have an asterisk or a little footnote and at the bottom. It'll say it also means "born from above." What this communicates is that the the first definition is born again or anew, and the second definition, an alternate like in Webster's, is born from above. But that's not what this word means. It's this Greek word anothen, And, and it means both things at the same time. It's a deliberately ambiguous word. It's a word that means born again or anew and born from above. And so maybe better than saying born again, it'd be better to say divinely reborn, A person must be divinely reborn if they want to begin to understand what on earth it means uh, to to see the kingdom of God and to see what's going on with Jesus. And unless you have that divine rebirth, you're not going to have a clue. It's going to be like watching a a movie in a series and you have no idea what the other movies are about. Divinely reborn. Uh, Maybe in a moment of frustration... (laughs) Have you ever thought about what it would be like if you had been born into a different family? Uh, Warren Buffett talks about hitting uh, the ovarian lottery or the ovarian jackpot, and you know he's this billionaire philanthropist, really rich guy, and he says that a ton of who he is he owes to the family that he was born into, something that he has no control over. If Warren Buffett had born in been born into some family in like a third world country, would he still have become Warren Buffett? Or if you had been born into Warren Buffett's family, would you have been like the the next Warren Buffett? If you'd been born into a different family, what what would that have been like? The kids and I just uh, were reading this C.S. Lewis book called The Horse and His Boy. It's part of the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, and it's an interesting story. It's a story of this kid who was kidnapped at birth and taken to a far-off country and raised among people who are very different than the people of his upbringing. And he's raised by this man whom he calls Father, who's, who's mean and who's crude, and he's in this country, and, and though he's never known anything different, he feels like a misfit. And he hears about this land in the north that he's never been to, and, and the people he lives around don't like it. They think it's strange and dangerous, but he finds his heart yearning for the north. He's got this other country in his heart, but he doesn't get it. And so, but he hears whispers that this other country is, is somewhere you can get to. And with the help of a lion, which is like the Jesus character in the story, he starts making his long trek back home. And when he gets to the country, he finds that the reason he yearned for the north is because he's from there, because he's actually the son of the king. And if you're reading the book right now, sorry, I just gave it away. It's like 50 years old. Come on. He realizes he's the son of the king. And so not only does he have to unlearn the habits and the customs and the identity and even the name that he had in the far-off country he has to relearn and learn for the first time what it means to be a member of the royal family to accept his new name and his new privileges and his new powers as someone who's who's heir to the throne and you can make the case that this character experienced a kind of royal rebirth he was royally reborn Until that happened, this boy was missing so much information about how the world was ordered, he didn't have a clue until he had the opportunity to be royally reborn. And the same thing is true for us, that there's this ache that many of us have come to feel, this discomfort that many of us have come to feel, that the world as we have experienced it is not the way that it should be. We're not at home in the way that we were designed to be, and there's this yearning for us, for something more, for a country of our own. Augustine, St. Augustine, who's this North African bishop, said, you've made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Until we are divinely reborn, we don't have a clue what's going on with Jesus. And maybe you grew up going to church, and maybe even right now you're bored out of your skull, and you don't have the eyes to see what's going on. You haven't been divinely reborn. You're living life without your contacts then, and you're making judgments while seeing everything through very fuzzy eyes. Nicodemus sure doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. And so, okay, The being born again thing, that doesn't make sense to me. Jesus takes a second swing at it, and he talks about being born again by water and the Spirit. There's some great wordplay and cool stuff I don't have time for. Uh, But Jesus responds to Nicodemus. He says, being born again, being divinely reborn, it's kind of like, it's a work of the Spirit. The Spirit's like wind. In fact, the word here used for spirit and wind, they're both pneuma. It's the same thing. He said, the Spirit... The wind, the wind, you know, it's something you can feel, but it's not something you can control. And similarly, the Spirit, those who are divinely reborn, you can feel the effects of the stirring of the Spirit, but it's not something you can manipulate for your own ends. It's not something that you can control. The Spirit, like the wind, is wild and it's untamed, and you can work with it or it can work against you. The movement of the Holy Spirit is the means by which we can be divinely reborn, and that's not something we can conjure up or manipulate on our own. For years, uh, I've struggled with understanding salvation. Um, I ask ask a lot of questions. Um, One of the things God gave me a lot of comfort with when I was 18 or 19 was that questions are good. And that God was using the discomfort that was within me and the questions I had in me, though they were threatening to others at times, as a way of drawing me close. And so, but for years, I've struggled with salvation. I want to be able to map it. I want to be able to, to like understand the mechanics of what happens. Okay, so if I raise my hand, is there like a transaction in divine bank accounts? At what point, like, do I have to raise it a certain height? Do I have to, like, feel something? Uh, and I've genuinely been asking the question, Well, how does salvation work? And as a pastor who, like, I really want to see people come to Christ. I want to see people divinely reborn. I'm asking the question, how do I help make that happen? And I was sitting in Central Library this week studying and praying over this text, and I felt like God made something abundantly clear here, that it's not something that I can manufacture. That to be divinely reborn, to be brought into the family of God is a wild and an untamed thing. Like the wind, it's a, it's a work of the Spirit of God. It's not something I can do because, by a, a emotional manipulation or coercion. In fact, I don't even have to be that all that impressive. Some of you have stories of people who led you to Christ and they did a horrible job at it, but you're still in Christ. It's not on me to put on a great show. To be divinely reborn is a work of the Spirit. So what's my responsibility is to pray for the Spirit to blow. Pray for the Spirit to stir and to stir up affections and yearnings for Christ and all of us. Anothen, to be divinely reborn, is this thing, this mystery that's beyond human knowledge or control. But I can tell you it's inextricably linked to the work of the Holy Spirit pointing our attention toward Jesus. And I can't tell you how it works. But I can tell you that I believe it does work. And I can tell you that I believe that wind is blowing. And God, and you, we'll, we'll talk about this in the story, God who created all things and did a good job and loves his creation has not abandoned it. He's still redeeming. He's still renewing. He's still restoring all things. And he longs for us to be made new into the image of Christ, just like we long for it. He wants it even more. To be divinely reborn is a mystery beyond our control, but we can pray for it. How do we know that God's Spirit's at work? We can feel the effects, but we can't control it or manipulate it. How do you know God's Spirit's at work in you? Uh, maybe it's a restlessness. Maybe it's just this deep sense of yearning. Maybe it was a desire to go to church. Maybe it was a strong desire to never go to church again. There's a fight that God was picking with you, and you're fighting back. Uh, maybe it's a heaviness. Maybe it's a deep awareness of the ways in which you've, you've botched things up. You've made a mess of your life. Are you contributing to the mess of the lives of others? God's Spirit's at work creating a holy discomfort, uh, creating and identifying a vulnerability within you for which there's, uh, you can't provide your own solution. God's Spirit may be at work in you. At the beginning of John's Gospel, John uh, the Apostle is summarizing the work of Jesus and how Jesus first came to his own people, to the Jews. So said, Jesus came to those who were his own. But his own did not receive him. But to all who would receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be born into the family of God, to be divinely reborn. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. To those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to be divinely reborn, to be invited into the royal family of God and given a new name and a new history and a new power and new privilege and responsibility and a new family. If you'd receive him, if you'd receive him, and so as we're working our way through John's gospel, the natural question for us to ask this morning is, have you received him? Or will you receive him? I was thinking there's so many Christmas carols that, that, that pick up on the incarnation and these themes. Uh, Let earth receive her king. Oh my gosh. Uh, born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give the second birth. That's what Jesus has come to do. To all who would receive him, who would believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I want to create space for us this morning to reflect on whether we're God's kids, whether we're, whether we're in his family. So I'd invite you uh, to, to close your eyes. As I've thought about salvation, it's not magic. It's not that when you reach your hand in the air, you're pressing the like green light to make salvation work—that's not it. We also see in John's gospel that Jesus respects our dignity. When he asked the disciples, "What do you want?" he waited for their answer. Jesus said, in, "In Revelation chapter three, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone will come and open the door, I'll come in and eat with them, and they with me." And so I'd ask if there is anyone here you've never, and I'm using the biblical word here, you've never received Jesus, and you want to, would you raise your hand? If God's Spirit is at work in you, and you want to receive Jesus as your King, if you want to be divinely reborn, if you just say, by raising your hand, I want to be divinely reborn, would you do that this morning? It happens in our own families that we, we raise a child and that child strays from the family. And there can be a kind of rebirth when there's a reconnection in adulthood. And maybe you're here this morning and there was a time when you accepted Jesus, but you have, you've drifted away or perhaps you have sprinted away. And today you would just say, I want to come home to the family of God. I want to come home to the family of God. If that's you, would you make that your intention by just raising your hand? I want to come home to the family of God, if that's you. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with them. Lord Jesus, we say as a church, we want you to be our king. We want you to be our king. We need and we hunger to see renewal and restoration and healing, and as we've just seen, that's not something we can manufacture. We pray for the the wind of your spirit to blow and to stir hearts for Jesus Christ. Make us deeply and keenly aware of all the ways in which we need him. Remember, the, the psalmist says, who can discern their own sin? Who has a clue how deeply they need the healing that Jesus provides? So, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come. That you'd make us aware of how deeply we need you. Say everything that we need is in you. Come and eat with us as we gather around the table. You said if we open the door, you'll come and eat with us. And so Jesus, as we gather, would you do just that? In Christ's name, amen.